If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and then the Gospel of Mark. And we're in chapter 8 this morning. Once you have found it, if you could go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word, we're going to look at Mark 8, 11 through 21. And once you have it, go ahead and stand. Please, Mark 8, 11 through 21. It will not be on the screen this morning. This passage fits within a larger passage that uh, uh, Romelia Williams is going to preach from next week. I'm just going to take a, a sliver of it this morning, and, uh, and I'll be relatively concise on our first Sunday as we have our kids with us, uh, and then you'll get uh, the bigger picture next week. Um, so Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of God. And you can be seated. I've actually got a couple more announcements for us this morning before we jump into this, uh, this passage. Uh, the first thing is that part of our strategic plan for 2016 is to bring on a part-time director of cause ministries. Our mission statement involves a focus on Christ, community, and cause, and we discerned together at the end of last year that it was time to bring some more organization and leadership around our very specific engagement with our very physical, close-by neighbors here in Bronzeville. So you've known that we have been in a search process for this person, and I'm happy to announce today that we have hired our Director of Cause Ministries, Marquita Boone. So don't worry, Marquita will continue to lead uh, uh, worship uh, with Esther and others, um, but Marquita's in a season of life where she has some extra time and space, and we've been discerning this together for a while. So it's super exciting. She'll be 15 hours a week, beginning when? Beginning when we raise her salary. Oh, you're happy about that too. That's great. Okay. So um, you're going to be hearing um, more about this in the coming weeks. This is all I'll say for now. We are not raising any money for Marquita's salary from within our church. We are asking you not to give to Marquita's salary, to continue giving faithfully to the ministry of our church. That's very important to us. But what we will ask you to do is to identify friends and family members who love this church, who love that you're at this church, but for whatever reason can't attend this church. They live in a different state. They live in a different country and would love a way to very practically support the mission and ministry of New Community Covenant Church. We're going to ask that you identify those folks, and then we're going to be putting together some resources to help tell the very specific story of why this role is so important for our church and for our community and then to, to go to those folks and ask if they'd be willing uh, to, to contribute to, um, to this position in the salary. Does that make sense? 
So again, you'll hear a lot more about this in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Susan Sperry, Sonia Wang, and myself are putting some stuff together for you, and hopefully within a week or two, you'll be hearing more about this. But for now, thank God with us for what's already happened and for what will be, happen, uh, what will be happening. Our goal, June 1, that the funds have been raised, Marquita will begin working in this position. It's a little bit, it's a little bit, you know, tight. We think we can do it. So please be praying uh, with us. The other announcement, we have two uh, uh, pastors with us this morning, and I'm actually going to ask them to come up real quick here, Pastor Luke and Pastor John from Minneapolis. And um, just super briefly, they're both involved in ministries of reconciliation. And so whenever we get a chance to kind of hear what God is doing in other places, given our heart uh, for reconciliation, we want to take advantage of that. So we're not being nice to you. We're just trying to, you know, get some of what you've got. And uh, so I was going to ask that both Pastor John and Pastor Luke give us a, a very a brief update of where they're coming from, what God is doing, and then uh, Romelia is going to pray for them, and, and we'll pray with her. Thank you, Dave. It's a blessing to be with you today. I'm John Foley. Um, come from Minneapolis, served as a covenant church planter in a school in South Minneapolis, um, much like your church here, and so it's a blessing to be here today. Thank you for the great worship. Thank you for the Spirit of God with you. Thank you for what you're doing. I just want to bless you and say it's not easy doing what you're doing, but the, the fruit of the Spirit of God is here. So I just want to thank you. I get to be a pastor to pastors. I um, have served, have done an urban hockey ministry in South Minneapolis, and God kind of, early on in those days, I memorized Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, God will bring a harvest if you do not give up. And God is doing the circling thing, and one of my young uh, hockey kids, um, her brother was murdered by police in North Minneapolis. And so that has opened the door to do some reconciliation, healing uh, ministry. Uh, And we're doing a retreat next week. And so if you think about that, pray for that, that the Spirit of God would come in and and do justice and reconciliation, healing. So it's just a blessing to be with you. And uh, Luke and I are just having a spiritual retreat this weekend and coming down. So it's it's a blessing to be here with you today. Well, thanks. Thanks, uh, David. Um, just want to uh, greet the church and, and say, uh, the Apostle Paul says, I've heard of your love. And we came this morning because we had heard of a uh, new community, and we've heard of your love uh, for this community and the neighborhood. Uh, I uh, pastor in, in North Minneapolis, a uh, historic um, inner city church in, in Minneapolis, and I've been there 13 years, and the church has about 50 years of history uh, but we were, they, 50 years ago, was planted as a mission to the community and to the children of the community. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, two years ago now, uh, I just, I thought about, te- can I testify? <laughs> is it all right if I just give a testimony that, that God is faithful? Um, that two years ago, uh, I got a call at 11 o'clock at night from one of my uh, parishioners, and she said, Pastor Luke, the church is on fire. And I didn't even tie my shoes, and I, I beat the fire department to, the, to uh, the parking lot, and I watched my church burn down. And as I was standing there, um, I looked over, and I saw that there was uh, racial epitaphs written all over in spray paint on the side of our church and on the garage and through the sanctuary that someone had broken in and put an accelerant on the piano, and they wrote racial slurs and epitaphs all over our, our sacred space. And I remember sitting in the parking lot, how broken and how evil the, the, that presence felt and that hate, that we were attacked by hate. 
And, and God said this to me in that time. He said, uh, rem- reminded me uh, of these words, faithful, faithful is our God. I'm reaping a harvest that God promised me. I'm going to take back what the devil stole from me. And it was in that moment that God said, we're going to get through this and hate's not going to win. So I just, I just wanted to testify that I, I think I've heard of your love here and that it is a battle. Um, what you're doing, and, but that God is faithful, and the world is, is, is hungry uh, for what you, for the manna that, that God has given you to offer this community. So I'm just excited to be here. Uh, Lord bless each and every one of you. So I'm going to ask you to, no, 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 yeah, you guys stay up here. If the church, you stand, please, and extend your hand in prayer and blessing over these two servants of God. God, I thank you and I praise you for these two um, brothers in the ministry of reconciliation that you have brought here to this space. God, we first of all celebrate and thank you for the light that you have put within this community of God that others might see and know that you are God within and through us. And so, God, we thank you for the ways that you have heralded us as a city on a hill, God, that others might see and know and hear and feel and experience the call of God to racial reconciliation. And so, God, I thank you for these men of God that have also opened their hands and their hearts to do this work, to bow down onto your presence at your feet and say, what can I do? What must I do to serve your people and your kingdom? And as they open their hands, God, you have given them this call. And God, I thank you that each of them has said yes. And God, I thank you that they have seen the fruit that you have allowed to grow in their lives as a result of their saying yes to the healing and the reconciliation ministry of God. And God, I thank you for your word that says that when you are, um, that when you are attacked um, because of the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you, oh God, that you are the one that is our redeemer and that you are the one that lifts us up. And I thank you, oh God, that, that this attack me- means that the work of God is being done, that the healing ministry ministry of God is what is being attacked and not these men and not these women, but the enemy does not like to see the love and the fellowship and the unity of God happening. And so God, I thank you for this attack to display to the community, to shine a light on the work that God is doing. And so bless these hands and these hearts, bless these ministries, God, that are being done in your name. And God, I pray that as these men have come to receive of you, to be fed of you. God, I pray that you would pour in. For where there is woundedness, God, I pray that you would heal it. Where there is tire and there is weariness, God, you fill. You fill them in a way that only you can do, in a holy and a full and a holistic and a righteous way. Pour into them now, oh God, and use us, Holy Spirit. Use this ministry of God today to continue to pour into the lives of these men, to give them strength, to keep running on and saying, what must I continue to do to serve this ministry of reconciliation? God, open their eyes and their ears and their hearts to receive fully of you on this retreat experience. And we ask that they would go back to Minneapolis saying, we met God in that place. We met God in the space of sanctuary. We met God in this space of healing Um, and restoration and retreat. And so, God, we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So be sure to greet our visitors this morning and um, encourage them in in any way that you can.
Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. Um, I, I hope this sounds a little bit familiar to you. This is not the first time that we've seen Jesus feed thousands with very little. The difference here is that uh, Jesus is feeding uh, likely Gentiles instead of Jewish women and men and children. Uh, as we saw last week, he's making his way through a Gentile uh, region as he makes uh, eventually his way back to Galilee. So it's a bit of a different scene here. And again, you'll hear more about this uh, next week. Uh, but really, it's this verse that we looked at with our children that I want us to pay attention to. Verse 15 of chapter 8. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, this sentence, this warning by Jesus is bookended by two experiences of Jesus being completely misunderstood. The first comes in, in verse 11. Jesus has just finished feeding Thousands of people, and then in verse 11, Mark tells us, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Again, immediately after feeding 4,000 people. And then in verse 16, after warning his disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, Mark tells us they discussed this with one another, this warning with one another, and said, it's because we have no bread. He's saying, I, I think Jesus is calling us out because we forgot to bring the bread with us. So in response to the Pharisees, Jesus sighs and he walks away. Show us a sign. <sighs> I'm out. And he walks away. And then in response to the disciples, Jesus asks, do you still not understand? And I hear in his voice maybe some sarcasm. At the very least, he's exasperated. Do you really? He's like, do you really? Still, still, still? You don't understand? This, this warning is bookended by these two experiences of Jesus being completely misunderstood. And it ties back to this yeast that Jesus is talking about. This is what the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod, does to us. Immediately after feeding thousands of people with seven loaves and a few small fish, the Pharisees demand that Jesus show them a miraculous sign. What had they just seen? What had they just seen? A miraculous sign. They didn't didn't see it, though. They They didn't really see it. Jesus showed them what they were looking for. He provided more food than the crowd could eat. And yet the disciples, they think they're in trouble because they forgot the leftovers. They, they, they left the to-go box at the restaurant. They think Jesus is mad about that. Right? Like after he had just shown, like, I can, if we need food, it's not going to be a problem. I will take care of that for you. Oh, no, he must be mad at us because we forgot the leftovers. It's crazy, right? The Pharisees, the disciples, they'd both seen Jesus do these amazing things. It's crazy. How can they, how can the Pharisees demand a sign after everything they've seen Jesus do? How can they demand a sign? They've just seen this. How does that make any sense? And how can the disciples think that Jesus is going to be slowed down, hindered by the lack of food? Haven't they seen enough? Yeah, they have. They have seen enough. And this is why Jesus warns them about the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. Because it's this yeast that's keeping them from actually seeing Jesus. 
So let's talk for a second about the yeast. What is the yeast that Jesus is talking about? I would summarize it this way. The yeast that Jesus is talking about is any belief that keeps me from accepting Jesus and his mission on his own terms. The yeast that Jesus is talking about is any belief that keeps me from accepting Jesus and his mission on his terms. Does that make sense? Any belief, any thought, any assumption, any notion that keeps me from accepting who Jesus is on his own terms, that keeps me from accepting Jesus's mission on his own terms. That's the yeast that Jesus is talking about. Do you got that? Oh, quiet today. Do you got that? All right. So for the Pharisees and for Herod, this meant that despite everything they'd seen Jesus do, everything they'd heard about Jesus, they were still going to oppose them. Why? Because there was this yeast, there was this conviction, these beliefs, these assumptions about Jesus that kept them from accepting who he claimed to be. They, they couldn't accept that, in fact, Jesus was Israel's Messiah, the one who God had sent to rescue the world. Now, for the disciples, this yeasty thinking meant that they continued to focus on the miracles rather than the source of the miracles. They continued to, to focus on the miracles as standalone events rather than on Jesus, who apparently is not going to be held up by a lack of food. They're still not considering Jesus and his identity and his character. They had assumptions about the Messiah as well, what the Messiah should do. If Jesus could feed thousands, then surely he could defeat Rome in the way that we want him to do. There's some urgency here because Jesus is about to point the disciples to Jerusalem. The time is approaching for his arrest and his crucifixion. And so Jesus is feeling an urgency to get through to the disciples. Beware of the yeast. Why? Because if their thinking and belief and assumptions are still clouded, then when the crucifixion and resurrection comes, they're still going to completely miss it. It will not mean what it actually means to them if this yeast has still infected them in this way. There's an urgency here. Watch out! Be careful. It's not just about misunderstanding. It's about missing the whole thing about who Jesus is and what he is doing. Now, not just the disciples who are vulnerable to this corrupting yeast. You and I also swallow the yeast of our culture's assumptions and priorities and anxieties. And so you and I also experience God's provision only to once again demand a sign. Any, any honest people with me this morning? So God does something amazing for you. And then you go to sleep and you wake up. What have you done for me lately? And we forget. We're like the disciples in that way. We're like Herod Pharisee and the Pharisees in that way like the Pharisees, like the disciple, we construct a very rigid plan for our lives. We have a tendency, you and I, to, to sort of have, have very specific assumptions about what our life is supposed to look like, about when certain things in our life are supposed to happen. 
we put ourselves in charge of the plans for our lives and the result being that we ignore or we misinterpret anything God does for us that is outside of our plan for us. So we develop rigid plans, we develop a rigid timeline, we develop rigid expectation, and God is still doing stuff for us, but because it doesn't fit, that's not what I asked for. That's not when I asked for it. That's not what he's supposed to look like. Two people are with me, right? That's not the exact job I was praying for. That's not the exact position that I wanted. On and on. You know, we, we, we know this, right? And so we miss what God is actually doing all around us. Because this yeasty stuff gets into us and it blinds us to who Jesus is and what his agenda is for our lives. How does this happen? The metaphor that Jesus uses, and this is why I wanted you to see the yeast, is very intentional. Jesus could have used another agricultural metaphor. There's olives growing everywhere. He could have used, don't let the olives of the Pharisees get into your stomach, you know, or figs or grapes, you know. But he, he chose yeast. Intentional. This, this, this metaphor means something. We need to, to kind of dig into this a little bit. So, so, so a couple things. Yeast is very small. Just so you know, I, I didn't know my son was going to be that good at getting just one individual piece of yeast. <laughs> I was going to be like, see, it's so small, you can't even get it with tweezers. But he spoiled my plan, so I've got very good fine motor skills. Um, yeast is tiny, right? Like, it really is. If there's just a, an individual piece of yeast on your counter, you're never going to see it unless you're really, really looking for that one piece of yeast. Yeast is small, and it seems harmless. This is important. The beliefs, assumptions, and anxieties that will keep you from accepting Jesus on his terms are not immediately obvious. The beliefs, assumptions, and anxieties that will keep you from accepting Jesus are not explicitly destructive or even sinful. Not on the surface. See, by choosing this metaphor of yeast, Jesus shows us that it's the small culturally neutral decisions that begin to blind us to Jesus and his mission. Are you with me? So it's not the devil just like, ha, ha, right? It's probably not going to happen, right? Jesus said, no, it's like yeast, small, harmless. Watch out for the yeast. So let's think about this a little bit. Few of us parents, few of us who are parents, are going to tell our kids that winning the American dream is more important than living faithfully as citizens in the kingdom of God. Few of I I don't think, I don't think. Few of us parents are going to be like, what's most important in life is to win the American dream. That's more important than living as a citizens of the kingdom of God. None of us are going to do that. Yet, again, let's try to be honest, the decisions that we as parents make for our children, how we organize their time, what we affirm them for, begins to show 
how much of the yeast you and I have consumed and are passing on to our children. Not intentionally. We're not trying to make better citizens of the United States than of the kingdom of God. It's small. It seems harmless. Parents, how, how, much, how much time do you spend with your child talking about their developing faith? About who Jesus is? Relative to how much time you spend fighting about homework? Homework's important, but you hopefully you get. Okay. One more example. Few of us who are single, I'm not single, I'm just using us for all of us. Few of us who are single would admit that being romantically attached to someone, to anyone, is more important than investing in relationships, friendships, and community that point us to Jesus. None of us are going to say, what's more important to me is being romantically attached to any. That's more important than being a part of a community and friendships and people who are pointing me to Jesus and encouraging me in my faith. None of us are probably going to say that out loud this morning. And yet, our dating history shows a certain vulnerability to our culture's yeast. We could go on and on with this. I'm, these are just two examples we each are thinking of our own right now, I hope. The point is that the beliefs and assumptions that will distract us from Jesus can almost always be rationalized, can almost always be accepted, because on the surface they seem very, very harmless. Yeast, here's the second thing about yeast. The first one is that it's small and seems harmless. Here's the second and the last one. Yeast is pervasive. And it's transformational. Yeast cannot be contained. Has anybody baked bread before with yeast? Has anybody? Oh, really? Okay. Y'all need to bring some to potluck one of these days. That'd be great. I mean, homemade bread is the best, right? So you know, like, when you mix the yeast into the bread, you're not, you're not like, let's let this side of the bread rise and this side be flat. That would be cool. That would be, like, you can't do that, right? Yeast is not contained in one spot. It works its way. It's pervasive. It works its way through all of the dough. That's what yeast is supposed to do. It spreads. And when it does, it transforms its host. Again, that's the point of yeast. Yeast is meant to be pervasive throughout the dough, and it's meant to change the dough from flat to nice, airy, fluffy, delicious bread. It's supposed to change it from one thing to another kind of thing. It's kind of like Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are like bread. You can't contain the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod in one little place in your mind, in one little place in your heart. It will spread through you, and it will transform you. It will change you. As a result of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, at best, you will misunderstand me. At best. At worst, you will crucify me. The subtle cultural assumptions that you and I consume on a daily basis, they cannot be controlled and they cannot be contained. This is the the thing that's deceptive about yeast. We can look at it. It's small. It seems harmless. It cannot be controlled. It cannot be contained. 
the sins to which we have become accustomed and comfortable to cannot be controlled and cannot be contained. The corrosive emotions that we have rationalized and justified, they cannot be contained and they cannot be controlled. By the way, if you think you're doing a good job at controlling any of these destructive, yeasty things in your lives, just ask a friend who will actually be honest with you. You'll find out that you're not doing so good. Because you're like bread. You're a human, living, biological organism. Be careful. Watch out, Jesus says. This is subtle and pervasive stuff that will keep us from accepting Jesus and his mission on his terms. But in his warning, there's a promise for us. And I would say the promise something like this. Despite a culture that would distract us, despite sin that would destroy us, still we can know Jesus on his own terms. Despite every kind of yeast that would seek to distract us and and dilute Jesus, we can still know him and love him. Despite the countless reasons why rebellious, self-centered, anxious people like me should not be able to know the love of God, in Jesus, I can know the love of God. This is the promise contained in the warning. There's no reason to warn the disciples if there's not something better that they can experience. This is not simply about keeping them away from something bad. This is about the offer of something really, really good. Jesus' warning is, be careful. Watch out. You don't want to miss this. The yeast of the Pharisees and Herod has nothing on the power and the grace of what God wants to do in your life. There's a promise within this warning. We're three weeks away from Resurrection Sunday. Jesus knew that if the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod continued to work its way through the disciples, they were going to completely miss the power of the crucifixion and the power of the resurrection. And we know this because the Pharisees and Herod completely missed the power of the crucifixion and the power of the resurrection. Jesus didn't want that to happen to his disciples. How about you? What I want to ask you to consider as you come forward to receive communion this morning, what is the yeast that will keep you from weeping on Good Friday? What is the yeast that will keep you from dancing on Resurrection Sunday? That question makes sense. What subtle, seemingly innocuous thing has worked its way into you such that you will not be compelled to weep over your sin knowing what Jesus has done for you on the cross on Good Friday? What yeast has begun to work into your heart, into your mind, so that you will not be overcome with joy over the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is not in the grave but on the throne. Are you with me? So when you come this morning and when you take some bread that has been rightfully yeasted, is that a word? 
Consider the ways in which this bread has been transformed, not just by yeast, but by the very grace of our God. What yeast will keep you from weeping on Good Friday, from dancing on Resurrection Sunday? Because there's a promise in this warning, a promise for an eternal and an abundant life, but it means taking Jesus and his mission on his own terms. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Winston. Amen. Let me pray for you, and Romelia and I will lead us through our communion liturgy. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Reveal again our hearts to us. We need you to show us, because this is simple stuff. This is small stuff. This is stuff that that our culture is not going to help us with. Our neighbors aren't going to help us with. We're not going to have people calling us out for these. This is subtle stuff that works into us. So, Spirit of God, reveal our hearts to us now. Let us hear in your warning the promise of the best possible life for now and for all of eternity, that it is worth it, that it is worth it to have you reveal our hearts to us, that we could repent and confess and know your forgiveness. So again, we come as needy, hungry people today to your table. We come as people who have not uh, uh, the power or the strength to remain pure in this world. We need you to continually purifying us and transforming us from the inside out. We ask that you would do it again for us today. In the name of Jesus, amen.